Our first reading comes from Romans 11, where Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that, by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Among all the ways society has changed in the last 2,000 years, one that might make reading the Bible about the most difficult is how we talk about religion and ethnic identity. As you well know, at least here in the West, we have a tendency to compartmentalize. Our identity can be laid out on a list, and the items on that list consume some amount of our attention, time, energy, money, and so on, each in their own spots. You've got your job, your role within your family, what you do with your friends, how you volunteer, your hobbies, uh, and you have your religion. At least that's how I imagine most people will list off who they are based on what they do. But from a demographic angle, we see a little bit of a different list, but the idea is kind of the same. You've got your age, and with that, your generational cohort politics, your race, your gender, and again, your religion. And this is just one of those idle observations, a curiosity. Religion is about the only thing that you check off on a census and something you, at least some of us, actually spend time, energy, and money doing. It is both who you are and what you do. Yet even though that sounds like it's particularly important, the reality is most people compartmentalize it like we do everything else. During these blocks of time, I lean into this aspect of my identity, during Monday morning, and during those blocks, I lean into the other aspects. That separation would not have even crossed the minds of most anyone mentioned in the Bible. Their identity, both in terms of how you spend your time and your demographic, it was all one. You knew who you knew, did what you did, believed what you believed, and so on. And it was all because you were who you were. 
your race, ethnicity, nationality, and religion all intertwined, and they could be summarized with a single descriptor like Israelite. One last observation on how things now versus then have changed, sort of. I say sort of because this change happened during biblical times, specifically right around when Paul is writing from the looks of things. Judaism, like most religions, fit that previous description. It came along with your national and ethnic identity, and the way it was practiced was a matter of practice, the cultural traditions and holidays and day-to-day expectations. Being Jewish then and now is largely about how one lives one's life or tries to. Christianity introduced the idea, and Paul really drove it forward, that your religion is a matter of belief. What do you think? Who do you trust? Which do you love? That took over the way we think about religion in the West. When we talk about other faiths today, we talk about what they believe, even if that's not how the members of that faith would describe their own religion. So that's some broad strokes of the changes we can keep in mind for our readings today. Matthew and Romans both address how the God of Israel, through what Christ did, expanded God's relationship with humanity to include all people. They describe in two different fashions how we moved from a religion which established a relationship with God while being indistinguishable from race, ethnicity, nationality, and cultural practice, right? These people have a relationship with this God to then a religion that still establishes a relationship with the same God and yet can be adapted to fit every corner of the globe, any race, any nation, any language, every culture. In Matthew, we reached a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has had this plan to minister to Israel, especially among those who have lost faith, lost hope, or otherwise lost their way. Gentiles will get their turn too. That's part of the plan, but they have to wait. And yet this Gentile woman tries to cut the line. In humility, she prostrates. We translated it knelt, but the Greek is literally to lay down like a dog towards someone. That's where you get on your knees and put your hands forward. As much as it might upset us to hear Jesus disparage anyone or dismiss anyone or ignore anyone, then he compares her to a dog. She's in that posture after all and says more or less she needs to wait her turn. It would not be fair to give what's intended for the children, Israel, to the dogs, her, a Gentile. I say as much as that might upset us because that's not at all consistent with what we've seen throughout the Bible. Although the ideal, both from the idyllic past and some in the promised future, is that all peoples will know God's mercy and love and be free of sin, suffering, and death. For this era, that simply isn't the case yet. We have this sense nowadays that if one group of people gets a benefit but another doesn't, that that's unfair. But a biblical perspective would suggest that what's good for part of the group is good for the whole group. God's plan gave emphasis to Israel for much of their history, but their benefits are good for the whole world, even if that feels a little unfair. The woman admits her place in this plan and humbles herself before Jesus. Even the dogs eat the crumbs. She's not asking for much, Jesus, just a little bit. Even what falls from his table would be enough to satisfy her. And that humility plus the affirmation of who Jesus is makes for a statement of faith that impresses even Jesus. And like so many before, that faith makes her well. The daughter is no longer ill. Now, to be clear, Jesus was not just putting on a show. 
This was not make-believe. He was not being dishonest as though he were pretending to not know how the woman felt or trying to create some learning opportunity by baiting her in. Rather, she took up the mantle like many before in approaching God in earnest and changing God's mind. As we saw last week during Jesus' ministry, these heavenly things were acted out as metaphors about the heavenly lived out in history. She approaches Jesus the way Abraham or Moses and others had approached God in the past. This is how God works. God is merciful and just, and how that mercy and justice manifests depends on the circumstance. God doesn't change, but the circumstances do. The world does. We change. This woman made clear that the Gentiles had heard of Jesus, believed in him, needed him, and were seeking him. The circumstances changed. She brought that to Jesus' attention. Even though Jesus didn't change, and the plan stayed more or less the same, just a change in timing, the order of events and where to go from there, specifically, Jesus' ministry to the Gentiles, instead of starting in a while, starts now. So perhaps you caught that arguably, at least from Matthew's perspective, this is when the change from what we were born into shifted to what we believe. This woman hadn't kept the Sabbath. She didn't keep the food laws or anything else. She wasn't born Jewish. She wasn't even born in that Israelite Judean territory. There's nothing about her that would set her apart as an Israelite. Nothing about her that would define her as one of God's people that time and place. And yet Jesus' presence on earth created a yearning for God, for God's grace that wasn't there before. And that seeking after God through Christ was enough to indeed warrant that mercy. It was no longer about what she did or who she was or where she was born. It was about what she believed, whom she trusted. Fast forward a few years, and Paul talks about this in different terms. Rather than tell the story or our story, he lays it out. God's promises are irrevocable. Nothing that comes from Jesus or afterwards takes away from the covenant that God has with the Jewish people. They are still God's people and relate to God in the way prescribed by God. At the same time, Paul notes that the call to live in a certain way, to keep traditions and commandments, it had become too much for any one person or any community to maintain all on their own. Even though God had been abundantly merciful toward the Jewish people, this discord in their relationship prompted God to pour out even more mercy, this time on the whole world. Now, Paul argues in the verses we skipped that this pouring out of mercy on the Gentiles was to make the Jewish people jealous, and that jealousy would call them closer to God as well. See, nowadays, we just don't separate people in this way. We don't see the world as though Different people, right? Different people groups have different gods relating to each of us in different ways. Each god with its own expectations and responses and blessings. This is the same God relating to all the world, and Paul is giving some insight into how the same God can relate to two different sets of people. Even though nobody had ever thought of it that way. Even though God can relate in a little bit of a different way to the same God. Even today. Jewish people do not approach these questions the same way that we Christians do. While we would say 
Believing in Christ gives access to salvation, which works in us now through the Spirit, but is fully realized in the next life. A Jewish person might say living into the covenant gives them access to God with an emphasis on this life. So what about us, like today, now? What are we to do? Let's wrap this up this morning, just a bit of a commendation. This recent rise in anti-Semitism, the way people have become comfortable disparaging Jewish people as a group or as individuals, it's anti-biblical, it's anti-Jesus, because like Paul says, God's promises are irrevocable. As for the mercy afforded to us as Gentiles, most Christians, of course, having a Gentile origin or ancestry, as for God's call to us, it is to trust, to believe, to recognize who God is as revealed in Christ and seek him out. That is where we are made well. That is where we are saved. No matter where you were born, what your culture is, what you've done in the past, whom you trust, the God you believe in, the one you seek after. That is where salvation is found for us.